This is Annalisa Gross joining you in the collective need for catharsis, the process of releasing and thereby providing relief from strong or repressed emotions. Dot, also known as Malachi Nelson, tells a lot of truth in today's episode. Telling the truth is essential for catharsis. Dot is currently a volunteer director at the World Friendship Center in Hiroshima, Japan through Brethren Volunteer Service. He is privileged to listen to and learn from atomic bomb survivors and introduce visitors around the world to their moving witnesses for peace. In their free time, they eat curry and rice and cry over dramatic movies. Hey there. We're going to start this podcast episode just by taking a few deep breaths. We're going to be going over some serious topics, and so it's important that we first check in with ourselves, see how we're doing. So, take a deep breath with me now. In. And out. In through the nose. And out through the mouth. Good. Now do a quick check-in with your body, your mind, your heart. How are you feeling? What's on your mind? What's in the deepest part of yourself? Good, good. Now, imagine the following with me for a moment as each scenario arises. Let's take note of the feelings that rise up in us. Scenario one, you just got COVID and are entering isolation. You're uncertain of how this disease will affect you. You don't want anyone else to catch it from you. Scenario two. You've just got the lump biopsied. That lump that you found just last week. And you're waiting for the results. Is it cancer? Scenario three. There's a deep tension between you and that person that means so much to you. Scenario four. You are debating whether to share your gender identity or sexual orientation with a loved one. Scenario five. You feel a dark, dull, long-lasting disconnectedness from any sense of joy in life. As you consider these scenarios, what feelings rose in you? Maybe you felt sadness, discomfort, a sense of anxiety. Maybe there was a tightening in the chest you felt your brow furrowing. What am I listening to? 
a straightening or slumping of the back, a nervous fidget in your fingers. Maybe you felt a sense of being known that you could relate to some of these circumstances. Or maybe you didn't feel anything. For me, I felt a... I didn't feel much of anything, actually, just now. Perhaps a, a small sense of connectedness to these examples. Now, imagine the following follow-up scenarios with me. Again, let's note what rises in us. Getting through the COVID lockdown and finally seeing your loved ones again. The test results come back. Regardless of the result, you finally know. You say what had to be said to that loved one, to that person who's so important to you. No matter how the conversation goes, the weight is finally off your chest. You finally feel a connectedness to one another and the world, which can only be called divine after a period of seemingly unending depression or anxiety. You share the truth about who you are with your loved one. What feelings arose this time? Maybe you felt a bodily release, breathing easier, eyes refocusing, a deep breath in as you reset. Maybe there was a sense of calm or just a deeper sense of longing for something like this. For me, I felt like I could breathe again after reading these scenarios. My name is Dot, and my pronouns are he, they, and today I am talking about catharsis. Catharsis is the death is the process of releasing and thereby providing relief from strong or repressed emotions. All of the previously shared examples can induce a need for catharsis in us or bring about a catharsis that we've been needing for a long time. Today, I want to share a few thoughts I have on catharsis and share a little bit about myself in the process, where I've experienced catharsis since COVID, where I feel the deep gnawing of hunger and dissatisfaction of that not yet catharsis, and what I've learned for navigating that uncomfortable middle ground, that liminal space. I've been involved with the Church of the Brethren, although I'm part of the American Baptist denomination. Um, since I was in college, um, I joined a campus ministry, Standing in the Gap, so shout out to Nate Polzin um, and the church in Drive in Saginaw, Michigan. Um, I'm now part of the American Baptist uh, tradition, 
out west in Oregon. I'm currently living in Japan, uh, serving through the Brethren Volunteer Service in a place called the World Friendship Center. It's here that I work with um, Hibaksha, atomic bomb survivors, to share their stories of August 6th, 1945, when the atomic bomb was dropped on Hiroshima by the United States. And their stories of survival, their wish for peace, their rebuilding. Now, in this setting, I've been thinking a lot about catharsis. Some other examples that come to mind for me are societal catharsis, the sense of things being the way that they should be, environmental catharsis, of our planet being in a place of balance again. Some smaller examples are career catharsis. Um, this one's more personal for me. A sense of self-knowledge, confidence, desires and hopes for the future, and religious or communal catharsis. My connection with God, my connection with my community of faith, and the friends that mean so much to me. These first two catharsis, the societal, the environmental, I think we can all agree are not yet realized. And I have three lessons I want to share to help me and hopefully other listeners realize those catharses, to move toward those catharses. This is a heavy topic, so we'll end today with stories of catharsis that I have experienced in my career and uh, in my religious life and with my community. So now that we have a scope for our conversation today, let's just dig in. First, uh, the difficulty of social and environmental catharsis. When are we going to feel this release? When are we going to reach a place of justice and balance in our world? Will we ever reach that? And how do we live if we don't ever reach that? I have a great difficulty with believing in a God that's in total control when I consider the wildness of the world we're living in. I'm continu continually awed and terrified by the innovative yet simple ways that we dehumanize one another and disconnect ourselves from the planet. It's the mundane evil of buying a shirt made in a sweatshop around the world, and the unthinkable evil of thinking that such an international system of oppression is worth the bottom line. It's that we are captured by a story of millionaires dying in their submarine while we are numb 
to the couple hundred refugees who died on that same day while trying to reach asylum. And I'm not in a great place, honestly, to talk about our environment. I feel this heavy weight on me, this heavy anxiety about the climate, about this climate crisis. There is a great tension in me, which I know I'm not alone in feeling. We've all felt it for centuries. We create and then solve our own problems, but this time are our problems too large? I really don't know. Maybe you're going through something else right now? I want you to know that although I might not be able to be there for you, you're not alone. Maybe it's a friend, a trusted family member, teacher, pastor, another community member. What we call God has a way of comforting us through the world and lives around us. So reach out if you're going through something right now. Honestly, I can't offer much in comparison to your loved ones, but there is an incredible passage in um, Romans chapter 8 that comes to mind when I consider the difficulty of these days that we're living in. And we're trying to reach that catharsis, and it feels so far off. Romans 8, verses 19 through 25. For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the children of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not of its own will, but by the will of the one who subjected it or the ones, in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its enslavement to decay and will obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. We know that the whole creation has been groaning together as it suffers together the pains of labor, and not only the creation, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit grown inwardly while we wait for adoption, the redemption of our bodies. For in hope we were saved. Now, hope that is seen is not hope. For who hopes for what one already sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. The passage goes on to talk about how we are more than conquerors in Christ Jesus, and how all things work together for the good of those who love God and are called according to his purpose. I think you've heard those before. But with this passage, whew, it's good to know that we're not alone in this waiting for catharsis. It's not just us. It's people from everywhere since every time, or at least for the last couple thousand years, 
who have been groaning together, waiting for things to get better. Our hope as Christians is inherently based in this world. We hope not for the redemption of our souls or for a home in heaven, but as the passage says, we hope for the redemption of our bodies. But it's not just our redemption, it's also for the sake of all creation, the freeing of all creation, not just human beings, because it's also the creation that is enslaved, that is subjected to futility, to decay, what we might call environmental degradation. And the creation is waiting for the revealing of the children of God. Okay, wait, 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 hold up, hold up. Don't we already have followers of Christ around? Haven't we been around for a couple thousand years? What are they talking about? The revealing of the children of God. I don't really have a clear answer to this, but I've got a hunch. Something that a few progressive church leaders that I've listened to, Rob Bell, Richard Rohr, my own pastor, says, maybe it's a matter of humans waking up not as individuals or groups, but as a whole. When we quote unquote wake up as a whole, perhaps there will be a connection to ourselves, to our communities, to the wider world, maybe even to God. I don't know how we'll get there, but verse 26 mentions that, well, God is groaning with us. <laughs> We're not alone. The spirit is groaning. The world is groaning. We are groaning. Catharsis. We want it. We need it. Now, I don't really like how verse 25 ends. If we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. I'm sorry. Wait for it? Wait for it. Maybe it's because I'm young and impetuous, but I don't just want to wait for redemption and freedom. I want to at the very least, actively wait for it through contemplation, through, through serious consideration of what it will take to achieve environmental and social catharsis and communal action. Not just action by myself, but action with those I am connected to. So how can we actively wait for the catharsis that we have so deeply longed for, for thousands of years. Catharsis doesn't have to be something we wait for. It can be something we move toward, and our faith calls us to this. Our model, Jesus, was far from passive. So I've put together three lessons I've been learning in the last few years to pursue catharsis. Lesson one, live toward catharsis with like-hearted communities. This lesson is first 
because as Americans, we tend to think of ourselves as individuals, individuals who act heroically, individuals who fail spectacularly, individuals who are depressed, individuals who are going to school, individuals just living our daily life. But rather, we are members of communities. These communities hold great potential power. It's communities that effect the greatest changes. Um, it's never been just an individual. Now, notice that I said not like-minded communities, but like-hearted people uh, communities. We don't need to agree on everything in order to work together toward outcomes and for people and causes that we mutually care for. A like-minded community can say the same creed as you, but a like-hearted community draws you closer to imitating Jesus, to following his ways. Like-hearted communities keep us honest. They are vulnerable enough to share the truth with you and close enough to do it in a way that respects you. Like-hearted communities keep us motivated. They set an example for you that you long to follow, and odds are you set that same example for them. Together, you make this positive feedback loop that keeps you from getting too low or too high-strung. It's so easy to become unmotivated or to become unhealthy in the things in which we pursue. Keeping a balance is the key to keeping motivation. Like-hearted communities give us perspective. This is critical for problem solving. As a director at World Friendship Center, I face new problems and barriers to pursuing peace, to fostering peace, at every board meeting. Without my co-director Matthew and my co-workers to conspire with, plan with, laugh and cry with, balanced, sensible solutions to these barriers would never be found. Like-hearted communities challenge us. Every few months, a friend or mentor at church comments to me, Hey, have you considered being a pastor? Oh my, I have a love-hate relationship with this idea, with this question. I absolutely love theology and the ideas within Christianity, but my relationship to God and Christianity as an institution to put it mildly, is not at peace. These days, I'm not pursuing Masters of Divinity, but I take that question of, hey, have you considered being a pastor? As a challenge, as a reminder, to keep a soft heart toward others, to have a listening ear, and to engage with what I deeply care for, to work for what I deeply care for. These are qualities of a pastor and qualities of hopefully, hopefully qualities that I can emulate. I don't know if I'll ever be a pastor.
but I know that the attention of like-hearted people at church has challenged me to carefully consider my steps moving forward, to challenge what I am capable of and the potential that I might have. Like-hearted communities give us compassion. Let me give you an example. I am diagnosed with chronic mild to moderate anxiety, and sometimes it gets pretty bad. I sometimes feel like I do more harm than good, and that there's nothing I can really contribute. Anything I do doesn't make a difference. There's no point in putting in all the effort that I do. My friends set me straight and show me all the ways which I've made their lives so much better. They show me how I have made a difference, and how who I am is just fine. We all need people to give us perspective. So, lesson one. Catharsis requires true community, like-hearted community. Lesson two. Develop circles of compassion for yourself, for friends, family, for what I'll just call neutral others, and the people we could label as enemies. Let's break these down real quickly. The compassion for self might be one of the more difficult uh, qualities, the difficult compassions to develop for me, and maybe for you as well. You know, we live with ourselves every moment of every single day. We know ourselves pretty well, our faults, our strengths, and it's some, um, and recognizing that our strengths and our weaknesses are simply all part of who we are. They are the light and the shadow that requires full embracing. They never exist independent of one another, and many times exist as two sides of the same coin. Developing compassion for friends, for the people that we love but we don't always get along with, for the people who are just as imperfect as we are, but who are joined with us in, in living together, in pursuing the same goals. Developing circles of compassion for family. These, perhaps it's the family of birth or the chosen family. These people, they made us who we are and we are constantly growing and evolving both out of this family and from this family, but also against this family, against a the nurture and the nature of who we were. It's this careful balance and having developing compassion for the mysteries of the familial connection allows us to develop compassion then 
for the neutral others. Maybe it's people that we find ourselves in service to, community members, or, um, or a fellow peers at school or in church. Um, people that we don't know so well or know at all. Developing compassion for just the average person. Knowing that they have their own relationship to themselves, to their friends, to their family. And so they're just like us. And developing those eyes to see. And lastly, you know, that famous group of people that Jesus called your enemy. Pray for enemies and for those who wish you harm. Oh, crap. These people also need our compassion. We might not call them enemies. We could just call them, ah, yeah, those other people. Um, those people that we're in opposition to, those people who are like-minded but not like-hearted, or not like-hearted and not like-minded at all. But sometimes enemies can surprise us. These people that we think we are completely against, as we develop compassion, we learn something new about them, about ourselves. Something critical to move us forward in the pursuit of the catharsis that we are so longing for. Developing compassion for our enemies allows us to not give in to rage against them, to pettiness, to bigotry against them. They are as close to you as you are to yourself. There is a mirror that enemies hold up to us. Let's be careful not to shatter that mirror. The greater our compassion, the greater our ability will be to form crucial friendships, partnerships, alliances, while maintaining and developing our overall health. A life with compassion is one that allows for imperfection, allows for growth. Let's follow lesson two. Let's develop circles of compassion. Lesson three is to live toward the release, regardless of the outcome. My current understanding is that there is no guarantee that we will avoid a climate catastrophe. We may not see justice flow like a river. This is a hard possibility to consider. However, the good we do along the way, even if we don't reach a stable environment or just societies, will contribute to more stability 
more justice, even if it isn't quote-unquote enough in the long run. We can't let the uncertainty of a final catharsis stop us from living in pursuit of it. Growing up, some people would tell me just do the work and trust God for the result. Or, in the words of Paul, Apollo planted the seed, I watered it, but God made it grow. While this may be true, we must also walk the fine line between faithful work and innovative work, between planting and watering and using the best soils possible, the most supportive environments for growth, for the results that we want. To let this metaphor go, I mean, we must always be seeking better ways to be, better ways to act, better ways to live. In the most recent Messenger, I read about the new director of Heifer International. She is a great example of honoring the ways and culture of a long-standing organization while seeking to update the organization to be the most strategic and effective to meet the ambitious goals of ending poverty and hunger. Hey, you know what? Uh, let's check in one more time. Uh, we've been through a lot of big discussions in the last bit of time. Um, it's a pretty heavy one, so uh, with me just breathe in and take another deep breath in. And out. One more breath in. And out. Good, good. Uh, check in with your feelings here, with your body, your heart, your mind. For me, Living with uncertainty can feel a little like dying every day. I'm sure you've heard that in my voice throughout this episode, and maybe you felt a bit of that yourself as you've listened. Let's wrap things up on a high note here. I promised you a glimpse into my life, into where I've experienced catharsis, so it's time to make good on that promise. Let me share with you about how I've experienced catharsis these last few years in my career, religion, and community. I hope you find some joy in hearing my own. As I shared earlier, my first catharsis recently experienced is related to career. Type personalities like myself get so obsessed with finding our purpose that we often miss it along the way. But in the course of about seven years, I found the sense, thank goodness, to listen to my life as it spoke, rather than trying to force it to say the words that I wanted it to. As I struggled and went up and down a sense of direction and purpose emerged into what I'm tentatively calling a career in human services and community organizing. 
If you're a young dunker punk trying to find direction in their life, know that it can happen for you too. Have patience. Keep at it. You've got this. Let me reiterate. Finding communities of like-hearted people, both inside and outside the faith, has been critical for revealing the parts of me that I really want to bring to a career. When we are in safe communities, we feel safe enough to explore ourselves and to grow into expressions of ourselves that we can delight in. In such communities, we can more easily develop practices of compassion for ourselves, others, and our world, a critical part of finding a way to live and move and have our being in this world through work. Anxiety can make it incredibly difficult to have compassion for myself, but I have found meditation, journaling, conversations with friends, and finding beauty in the natural world as useful for developing compassion. In the coming years, I have no expectations <laughs> of making money or becoming famous, but I know that I'll be able to find purposeful, innovative ways to work with my community to make spaces for those that are so often put on the margins of society. Those people experiencing homelessness, poverty, and LGBT folks, especially youth. I don't know the specifics right now, but I am finally feeling a sense of peace. These last seven years of travel and anxiety, moving from one job, house, state, community, to the next, listening closely to how I respond to the environments which give me life, and the ones which aren't so kind to me. I am about halfway through my job with World Friendship Center, and there is at long last that feeling that I can make it, that even though so much is out of my control, I can live a life which will meet my practical and meaning-making needs. I'd be amiss if I didn't mention the critical ways that Brethren Volunteer Service has helped me pursue my passions for a life in service with others. If you find yourself at a transitory point in life or know that you need to re-evaluate the way that you're currently working or living, go check out BVS to learn more about their programs. It's not just a service program, it's also an incredible chance to challenge yourself and develop and define your career. Alright, we're going to close out with catharsis number two. My second catharsis is something of a resolution, at least for the time being, in my relationship with God and a found profound security in community. For years, I've had close experiences I'd call divine or otherworldly. Experiences where God felt so close, I felt so cared for. These experiences got me through some difficult times growing up and as a young adult, and the best language I could use for them was God language. But as I've continued along, this God language 
just has not gelled with the with the pain that I have seen in the world, that we've seen pain so often inflicted by the very children of God, by those of us who are meant to be revealed. I wanted to find faithful, different views, different ways to view God, which freed him to be the best he has always been, or she, or her, or they have always been. But in the process, I found beautiful theologies and ways to live. Process theology, liberation theology, queer theology. Each of these theologies continue to give me beautiful gifts to this day. But none have yet freed God. And so, this last year in May, I let God go or at least the personified, transcendent, wonderfully present God, which many in our faith hold dear. When I let God go, I saw that oh, I had been holding a lot of anxiety in my body. It is a heavy burden to represent a God that I cannot account for despite all my efforts. I don't know what is next. I can't account for God, and I can't account for his absence. But for today, surprisingly, that's okay. That's enough. What a blessed release. I have received incredible kindness from Christians I've shared this with. Being Christian my whole life, the question always loomed. If I lose my faith, do I lose my people? But true to form, everything I love about God has shown up in his followers in relationship with me. There is a profound sense of security I have in my church and in the communities outside of it. What an incredible answer to that looming question. What an incredible catharsis. The Christian community, at its best, makes a place for the like-hearted, because honestly, none of us are truly like-minded. I'm currently experimenting with calling myself a Christian atheist. Is it possible to practice following Jesus with my faith community? To practice orthopraxy, a fancy word for right living, while being a little unorthodox? This question excites me and my church, and we relish exploring the ensuing questions together. Today, I laugh with my friends, both atheist, Christian, everywhere in between, that perhaps if God does show up in my life again, it won't be to a great intellectual insight. It'll be because he, or she, or they, or it will show up inexplicably like the Kool-Aid man bursting through the wall with a big barrel-chested, oh yeah. Laughter after anxiety, community after loneliness, hope for the future, these, my friends, 
our true catharsis. Thank you. I've really valued this time preparing this episode, this time with each of you. I hope that you found it valuable and useful, thought-provoking, comforting, disturbing. Let's close out by taking just one last breath, checking in with ourselves one more time. Breathing in, and breathing out. Good, good. Breathing in one more time, and out. Check in with your body, your mind, your feelings, your heart. Friends, fellow Dunker Punks, thank you for having me, and take care. Until next time. Dot lifts up orthopraxy, wondering if they, if we, can live well without necessarily believing correctly or fully. In A History of God, Karen Armstrong writes, Throughout the Bible, Abraham is called a man of faith. Today, we tend to define faith as an intellectual assent to a creed. But the biblical writers did not view faith in God as an abstract or metaphysical belief. When they praise the faith of Abraham, they are not commending his orthodoxy, the acceptance of a correct theological opinion about God. They are commending Abraham's trust. In the same way as when we say that we have faith in a person or an ideal. Abraham is a man of faith because he trusted that God would make good on God's promises, even though they often seemed absurd. Dot has enough trust to explore the messy, murky shadows and uncertainties of faith and belief. Letting go of God, letting go of a certain belief about God, and trusting trusting that peace and presence will continue. As Dot continues to witness pain and struggle, cruelty and kindness in service work and in Dot's own life, I'm reminded of another person of faith, an honorary Dunker Punk, who writes, I discovered later, and I'm still discovering right up to this moment that it is only by living completely in this world that one learns to have faith. By this worldliness, I mean living unreservedly in life's duties, problems, successes, and failures. In so doing, we throw ourselves completely into the arms of God, taking seriously not our own sufferings, but those of God in the world. That, I think, is faith. That was Dietrich Bonhoeffer. Thanks for listening. Dunker Punks nourishes people of all ages to live well, live faithfully, live justly and joyfully, 
in our own places on our faith journeys. Thanks to Malachi Dot Nelson who contributed from their mind, heart, and soul. I am Annalisa Gross, your host, and Tyler North edited this episode. Jacob Krauss creates our music. Ryan Domer manages production. We have a variety of congregational sponsors, Wichita First, Long Green Valley, Living Stream, Warrensburg, Beacon Heights, Arlington, and also non-congregations like On Earth Peace, an agency of the Church of the Brethren. We need more sponsors to keep Dunker Punk's podcast healthy. Ask your church board to include $200 in the 2024 budget to support this conversation between young adults that the church gets to listen in on. Speaking of, our next episode will be a rich conversation between leaders at annual conference that we all get to listen in on as we value and amplify the voices, questions, longings, and insight of young people. Get involved, contribute, learn more by finding our Facebook page or emailing dpp at arlingtoncob.org.